Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with Women in ETFs. We get together with some of the smartest women in the business and we talk shop. I'm Cynthia Murphy, and today I am joined by Gargi Chaudhry, head of iShares Investment Strategy for Americas at BlackRock. Welcome, Gargi. Hi, Cynthia. Thank you. I am really excited to have you here today because it is the perfect time for the conversation we're about to have, which is about mid-year investment outlooks. As we sit here in the early days of the second half of 2021, it's just the perfect time to assess what's driving markets and where the opportunity really is. So, Gargi, you have just, I was looking at it briefly before our conversation today, and you have just penned the Meteor Outlook for BlackRock. So I would love for us to dive into it and um, see what you found. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to discuss that with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. So let's start very straightforward. And when it comes to, you know, the key drivers in the market that are impacting investment decisions right now, what are you focusing on? I mean, there's, it seems like there's so much to choose from, from inflation to vaccinations. So walk us through what are some of the key drivers you're looking at for the second half of the year? Absolutely. And like you said, to your point, there are a few. It's a pretty interesting time to be an investor in the markets. And the places that we are focusing on as it pertains to the second half of this year is number one, definitely the path of the vaccinations as it leads to the economic restart. And what is important there is, of course, the first half of the year was uh, was very much about the U.S. Growth was concentrated in the U.S. given the successful vaccination campaign here. And for the second half of the year, one of the things that we are paying attention to is actually a broadening out of that economic restart to areas outside of the U.S., especially Europe comes to mind, Japan comes to mind. So really thinking through that, and I think that's one big theme. The second um, is around the path of inflation, as you pointed out. That is the biggest story of uh, this year and, in our opinion, for a couple of more years. And how is that going to evolve and how should investors be thinking about immunizing their portfolios for higher inflation? I think a couple of other things that we're also focusing on uh, for the second half of the year is, you know, the path of the Fed. I think that's really important. The commitment uh, of the Fed to the flexible average inflation targeting, how they roll out their uh, taper of the treasuries and mortgages that they are buying. I think that will have some amount of impact on the markets in the second half of the year. And then we have to be humble and be cognizant of the fact that there is still the variant. The Delta variant is one that is very topical now, but there could be others of the virus. And we have to be respectful of how that is taking shape and you know, make sure that we take that into consideration when we're thinking about the second half. So all in all, a few things. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's interesting is that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they all seem to point to me to what's the pace of the economic recovery going to be. And that seems to to drive a lot of of the conversation, you know, specifically on inflation, which I'm reading more and more that that's like the number one concern for people. And there seems to be, you know, different camps on whether we're going to get massive inflation or no inflation at all. What was interesting to me is that you expect central bankers to be very measured in the way they respond to inflation, more so than in past recoveries. 
So what's different this time? Yes, you bring up a very important point. Our view is that this time around, as inflation rises, the uh, central banks are going to have a different reaction function than they have had in the past. And we actually call this the new nominal. And what that means and why that is the case is that the central banks, and I mean, obviously, this is true of the Fed, but it's also true of ECB. It's also true of Bank of Japan. These central banks have all really struggled to get inflation back to that 2% level, which is the target for many central banks, as we know. Uh, And what we saw the Fed do about exactly almost a year ago is commit to what we call the flexible average inflation targeting, where they want to commit to an overshoot of inflation such that over a period of time, we average to 2% inflation. This is something that they committed to last August. They put it forth in practice throughout the course of the last year. And we're seeing them in their statement of economic projections where, you know, um, yes, we uh, heard from the Fed in June that they're looking to uh, perhaps uh, the statement of economic projections show that there might be two rate hikes by, by the time 2023 rolls around. But even in that case, inflation will be a lot higher than what it has been in previous rate hiking cycles. So definitely a different reaction function this time around from the Fed in terms of them being a lot more tolerant of somewhat higher inflation. And that's very much in counter to what we have seen over the last decade where inflation getting to 2% has been a very much a problem for many of the developed market central banks. And then on the other side of the, this conversation is just the narrative that, you know, people who are worried about inflation, are, you know, these, these fears are overblown, to put it simply. So in the last few weeks, we've seen this narrative gain momentum. And we've seen, you know, value give away a little bit to growth stocks. We've seen tech resume upwards. We've seen these parts of the market that got concerned about, you know, the potential of inflation kind of resume that uptrend. You seem to be on the other camp, right? I mean, your your mid-year outlook really focuses on the opportunity on value, on cyclicals, on inflation-linked bonds, commodities. Tell me why. Yes, I think this is, as I said earlier, this is a really important uh, part of our mid-year outlook, and I think this really should out how investors think about investing for the second half. And one of the big reasons here is that, as you said, there are a few different camps when it comes to transitory inflation versus uh, versus sustained inflation. And where we sit on that is that we think inflation is likely to be more sustained. Now, for sure, there are some parts of inflation, and we got the CPI number just yesterday. There are definitely some parts of CPI of inflation that are transitory in nature, that over the next few quarters, not months, but over the next few quarters, will actually resolve itself. As some of the supply-demand imbalances get a little bit more balanced, there are parts of inflation that we think will sort of not be running at today's run rate. You know, we saw auto inflation, for example, Uh, how much new and used cars are inflating, those are running at sort of 10%. We don't think that'll last at that level. However, uh, we do think that the removal of the negative supply shock will be met with positive demand shock. And what that means is we'll have inflation from the services side of the economy as more and more of us go back to work, go back to traveling, earn higher wages. It's going to lead to services inflation, especially in areas such as shelter, such as rent. And we're already seeing that in the data a little bit. 
And there's other reasons to believe that inflation could be higher too. Uh, production costs, we think, are going to remain elevated. There is some concern around supply chains remaining quite diversified. I mean, people are going to think more about resiliency of supply chains as opposed to just the lowest cost. Uh, and those are other reasons why, in the wake of the pandemic, we think inflation is going to be with us at a higher level than what we saw pre-pandemic. So we think, you know, having a regime of two and a half to three percent inflation makes a lot of sense. And that is why we think that the tilt towards value, the tilt towards cyclicality, tilt towards part of the markets that do well when inflation is higher, sort of uh, inflation-linked bonds, um, STIP, which is our inflation-linked, uh, shorter-dated inflation-linked ETF has seen tremendous amount of inflows. Sort of looking at financials, IYF is a ticker that is out for financials. Um, iShares. Those are areas of the market that we still think have room to run for the second half of the year. Cargi, let's talk about an interesting stat you had in this media report about quality stocks. So I am going to quote it here. Higher quality stocks hit their largest discount to broad markets since the dot-com bubble in the first half of this year. They faced massive outflows uh, in Q1, like $2.6 billion, which was, I guess, the first quarter they were in the red since 2015, which is pretty dramatic um, statistics. And that means to you opportunity in quality stocks. What's interesting to me about this is that typically quality tends to be the opposite of value, right? So I, I would love for you to walk us through this conversation of, you know, the pitch for value and cyclicals, but also the pitch for a focus on really high quality names in the second half. Is this a case of you know, at the end of the day, things can go either way as we go forward because nobody really knows what's going to happen. Or is, is there a different dynamic between value and quality? All right. So I think it's important to be cognizant of the fact that growth in the U.S. is probably going to peak in the second quarter. Right. As we're looking at data coming out, you know, the second quarter is going to have some incredible GDP print. And then we think that that's going to probably be the peak. Now, that doesn't mean that we expect any sharp downward shocks to growth in the third and fourth quarter. We're still, in, you know, we still believe that for the full year of 2021, we're going to have above 6% growth. And even in 2022, we're going to grow tremendously above potential. So the growth dynamic is positive. But we're probably past the peak in growth. And when we're past peak, what that actually tends to be very beneficial for are these quality names. So the idea here is that we favor taking a little bit of a barbell approach, pairing quality with the value companies. Uh, and the reason behind that isn't because things are unknown, but it's a recognition that the economic restart is definitely still underway. It is broadening out, as we spoke about in the beginning of this call. But there is a recognition that some of that economic growth is peaking right now and is plateauing along after second quarter. So taking that barbell approach to equities, pairing value with quality, you know, sort of accessing companies that may be better poised to perform in a mid-cycle environment. So certainly, you know, the belief in that reflation trade, which is going to be beneficial for value, still holds strong. But a pairing of that with the quality names, companies that 
are in a good position to sort of pass on costs that are able to have good pricing power companies that you know have really high return on equity stable year over year earnings growth low financial leverage we think that barbelling of those two together makes sense as we get past the peak growth hmm. so you guys heard it here first the new equity barbell there it is <laughs> I want to touch on a couple other topics that are really loom large in your mid-year outlook, maybe unsurprisingly, but the first of them being ESG and just the whole idea of sustainability. Uh, you bring that up not only as a standalone theme, but also as it relates to infrastructure, mm-hmm. which is a, a topic of, you know, with whole legislation coming into place, there's a lot of focus on infrastructure right now. BlackRock has been super vocal on the ESG and sustainability cause and really leading a lot of the effort there. We've seen a lot of assets go into ESG ETFs, you know, industry-wide. It really is the topic of the day. But there's still a lot of, you know, a lot of myths, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of lack of clarity, really, in the ESG conversation because there's really no standards, no metrics. And we talk about this often. So from your perspective, when you're, you know, evaluating an investment opportunity in ESG, how do you think the conversation about sustainability as an investment theme has evolved? Absolutely. Such a such an important topic here. And I think we'll pass it out, unpack it in a few different ways. So your question is around how it has evolved. And the recognition that it has evolved is really important. So first and foremost, there is an appreciation that climate risk and other sustainability risks are actually investment risks. I, I think the evolution there is, you know, thinking back five, 10 years ago, that recognition just wasn't there. So perhaps allocating to ESG was thought more of a doing good. But now investors are recognizing that this is an investment risk if you don't pay attention to your climate risk, to your sustainability risk. And along with the risk, it, it, it can create tremendous opportunities. So I think that is the big evolution that has happened just over the last few years. And we see that also in what investors want. You know, just over the last one and a half years, when we think back to 2020 and uh, the pandemic, you would have thought that pandemic took away the focus from ESG. In fact, actually, it was absolutely the opposite. From January through November 2020, investors in mutual funds and ETFs invested about $288 billion globally in sustainable assets. And that was basically a 96% increase from the previous year. So this is something that investors are paying attention to. They're realizing if they don't, it becomes an investment risk. And that if they do, it's becoming an investment opportunity. And that's why we focus on this in our media guide. We focus on how you should think about clean energy, why you should think about clean energy, just given how much investment is going into that for the next decade and how you should be thinking about playing that. So ICLN, which is our global clean energy fund, you know, is, is one way of playing that. And we've seen investors gravitate towards that. But you can also do uh, investments in broader indices. So ESGE is another way that you can play that. So really, our job is to provide clients as many opportunities and as many options to practice their own sustainable beliefs in the market and giving them a lot of options to do so. Yeah, what's interesting is on on the clean energy conversation, I mean, as you've 
I'm sure noticed, I mean, clean energy ETFs have faced a bit of a correction in 2021. I mean, some of these funds have delivered triple digit gains in the last 12 months. So it's not surprising that when the whole growth conversation lost team, clean energy went down with it. But I was just looking at ICLN this week and it's still taking in a lot of, you know, net new money. So it really tells you that this isn't about performance. This really is about long-term growth and, and the long-term path of where people see the opportunity going towards sustainability. So I think it's a fascinating story for sure. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. People aren't looking at, you know, obviously if you looked at the 141% return in 2020, that was fabulous. And yes, it's roughly down, call it 18 or so percent. And But that hasn't deterred investors because they believe that this is very much a medium long-term story and they want to be a part of that. They want to invest a long alongside what is a medium to long-term trend. And they want to, you know, they remain very constructive around this clean energy theme for the long term. To go a little bit deeper on the infrastructure story, and I don't know whether this is a a shorter term play because of fresh legislation coming to play or if this, you know, has more legs. But in your outlook, this isn't just about thinking about, you know, roads and bridges. It's also about electrical infrastructure. It's also about digital assets. So tell us more a little bit about, you know, what's the real opportunity in infrastructure? Right. So to your point, yes, there is legislation around it. You know, earlier this year, we got the Build Back Better plan. And of course, more recently, that got updated to the bipartisan infrastructure plan. The point here is that there is a huge amount of focus on infrastructure, And we think that that is a medium-term opportunity for investors. And it can also, by the way, be a liquid way to go back to our first theme that we talked about around inflation. That can also be your inflation hedge. So our infrastructure fund, IFRA, it includes both infrastructure operators, you know, things such as railroad operators and enablers, think like cement producers. And these, uh, you know, when, when you have allocations to sort of both the side of the equation, that can help investors capture the growth potential for the inv- infrastructure theme. And, and to your point, I would say that this is not just a story about the traditional uh, infrastructure, like the roads and the bridges, which, of course, is extremely important, but also around digital assets. And, and you know, that was your second point. And we think we have to think about infrastructure more broadly than just the traditional infrastructure. And this is where we focused on electric vehicles and cloud. And obviously, if we look at the bipartisan infrastructure plan, there is a carve out for the traditional and for for the digital as well. So we think that this is a time when investors should be alongside thinking around how should I tilt my portfolio to take advantage of this physical and, and digital infrastructure. And this is where we recommend a couple of iShare stickers, which give you access, IFRA is the more physical infrastructure. But then we think about sort of semiconductors, which of course is the backbone of the powerful and emerging technologies and everything that is to do with electric vehicle and charging stations. This is where our semiconductor ETF, SOXX, comes into play. This is where our you know, IDRV, which is our self-driving ETF, comes into play. So we think it's a broad story, which is not just around the traditional forms of infrastructure. 
So, Gargi, we talked about keep an eye on inflation, think of inflation hedging, look at value, look at cyclicals, keep your sustainable theme alive and well, focus on high quality names. Did we miss anything? No, I think we covered all of that. And within fixed income, we talked about, you know, sort of uh, being aware that interest rates can still move higher. So sort of reducing your duration exposure, but having an allocation to treasury inflation protected bonds, because that is what can do well in a rising inflation environment. Perfect. Before I let you go, I actually wanted to ask you a little bit more personal question, um, if I may, which is just to get a better understanding or a feel for the actual exercise of what you do. So as we know, I mean, there's no such thing as a crystal ball. So we all <laughs> love at this time of year to look for, you know, the outlooks, the forecasts. I mean, I, I, as a consumer, I love the guideposts, but I would imagine it feels like a big responsibility to put together these reports because you know people are consuming this and they may take action you know that impact investment portfolios on on these insights so from your perspective you know as you sit there with your cloudy crystal ball which is the only type they come in what's the most challenging aspect to this task of of looking into the future you know i would say that the, the thing that we learned, especially if we think about 2020 and the risk that the pandemic uh, provided, I mean, some risks are just difficult to predict. Uh, who would have thought in November of 2019 or December of 2019 when they were thinking about their 2020 year ahead that we would be, you know, that the whole global economy was shut down? Right. And then after that, who would have thought that we'd get 30 percent of uh, GDP worth of fiscal stimulus? So I'd say that some risks are difficult to predict. And then the second part of that, I would say, is even if you predict the risks correctly, I would say the, the hard part is then estimating the impact of those risks and understanding what is priced in versus what is not priced in such that you can really go out there and say, okay, here's a risk, it's happened, and here's how much the market can still move on it. So it's both. It's sort of, um, you know, the risks that you didn't think could happen that, that come to fruition, but also then understanding the impact of them. I would say that, you know, one of my biggest mentors and sponsors in the market, Rick Reeder, has this saying, which I love and I'll repeat, is that the market has the ability to just think about one thing at one time. And he says this all the time, that at any given time, you focus on one thing so hard that you forget all the other things that are out there. So also looking, recognizing that, and then trying to understand, okay, today we're all focused on inflation and we're all focused on the Fed. And uh, what are the other risks that we're forgetting about that will drive markets? So being aware of that and trying to position for that, I think that's the other sort of challenge as well, sort of making sure that we're aware of it ourselves. <laughs> That's perfect. Kargi, we're going to have to leave it at there. I thank you so, so much for, for joining me today and for, for sharing this great media outlook and, and a little bit of the process, the behind the scenes of what goes into it. Thank you so much, Cynthia. It was great to be here. For more information on ETF Working Lunch, or if you want to hear previous episodes, just check out ETF.com. If you would like to learn more about women in ETFs or get involved in any way with the organization, check out womeninetfs.com. On behalf of the ETF.com team, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. <music>